0: Welcome to the Preaching Podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Read uh, these texts together. We're going to read a couple of verses in Matthew, or a verse in Matthew, one in Luke, and then back to Revelation. Uh, The verses in Matthew and Luke, you could probably quote. They are a restatement with the words in a little bit of a different order, a restatement of the same thing. It is not the Lord's prayer, but the Lord's model prayer for us that we're reading from. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. We're just going to cut in right here. And the Lord Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Then if you would to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, basically the same thing is said again, and we'll we'll explain in a moment why we're reading these to preface the message. Luke chapter 11, let's go ahead and read verse 1 and 2, And it came to pass that as he was praying, in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say... Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. So We're taught of the Lord Jesus to pray here that things would be on earth as they are in heaven. I mean, you have noticed that if the Lord were answering that prayer right now, it's obviously not answered right now. We know things are not at at present on earth as they are in heaven. I believe that. Prayer has a twofold application. First and foremost, we're praying for His coming kingdom. Secondly, we're praying for His present kingdom right here. Our heart's desire should be that we be now while we're on earth and be doing His will on earth as His will is done in heaven. Okay, so having said that, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said... Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in this spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting "...clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion... And the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders Fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, Let me kind of give you what has birthed this week, this specific thought and what I believe it's right in the context of where we are, what we're dealing with. But I had someone say to me this week in reference to a what I would call a secondary or a sanctification separation issue in a, in a discussion about that, and if you would, I suppose you could call it a debate about how those things and principles are applied in our life as it relates to what is holiness. They made a statement. As Christians, and they made the statement, our good works don't impress God, and they have nothing to do with making us righteous, which is true. Then they went on to say, as Christians, our righteousness—and they use the term as Christians—but speaking from a believer standpoint, you know, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and so then you can't impress God with those. And on its face, we know that all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. Isaiah sixty-four six. So I asked our guys in Bible Institute last night after class was done. I said, as a, as a child of God, is it appropriate to say, if I'm a saved person, that my righteousness is as filthy rags? It's not a trick question, but I want you to think about it. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved now. You've come to faith in Christ. He's given you eternal life. Is it appropriate to say our righteousnesses are as filthy rags? And the answer is yes and no. Naturally speaking, my righteousness is as filthy rags. But I'll, I'll do with you tonight what I did with our young men last night. When the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God describes the righteousness of His people the righteousness of the saints in the book of Revelation or even the book of Ephesians, does he describe them as filthy rags? How many of you put on a breastplate of filthy rags every day? That's because when you got saved, you gave up your righteousness and you were given his righteousness. And it is a slight of the devil to get you to think that now you're saved, you're still the same as you were before you got saved. When God saved you, he gave you the righteousness of Christ We are to reflect and reveal that in every facet of our lives. What does this have to do with this? Well, in the book of Revelation, the righteousness of the saints is referred to as white garments. How many understand what the church of the Laodiceans did not have? Mm, They didn't have white garments because the Lord Jesus said they needed to buy some. Now, they were a church, were they not? He called them one of his churches. He addressed them as the church of the Laodiceans. And yet he said they were not adorning righteousness in their lives. Again, what does this have to do with this? Well, last week we pointed out that one of the things that characterized the 4 and 20 elders is that they are seated on thrones, seats around the throne of the Lord. They are clothed in white garments and they, are, they have golden crowns on their heads. And as I was preparing and knowing we've, we've outlined the chapter already... With the thought of this matter of righteousness already on my mind this week, uh, I thought, boy, how appropriate to go back and let's focus in on the 4 and 20 elders tonight. One of the points in the outline of the chapter is the participants around the throne. And you have four beasts and you have 4 and 20 elders. So we're going to put the spotlight on the 4 and 20 elders tonight. And let me do it with the Lord's help from this standpoint. An elder in the New Testament economy is someone who is more, more mature In the faith, it can be a position holder like a deacon or a bishop. Okay, so the bishop is often referred to as an elder. Uh, There are times, but it says of both the bishop and the deacons, the office holders in the church, that they must be first proven, they must not be novices. That tells us they have to be mature Christians who are setting an example or in sample for other believers. Let me just, I wanna present this correctly. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, elders are referred to here. There are numerous Christians and numerous churches that would be falling under the group of people that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 5. And among those, there were elders. There were those who were in a position of leadership and oversight of younger Christians and more mature in the faith. Let me put it to you this way. You can be elder in the faith without being a bishop or a deacon, for instance, but you can't be a bishop or a deacon biblically without being elder. Okay, uh, that's the way you'd see that from Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being... In samples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility... For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 comes right on the heels of 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 are the qualifications of a bishop and of the deacons. Then comes 1 Timothy 4, and Paul charging Timothy personally about some things. He said, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So why are we reading all the verses and referencing all about the elders. Because when we come to heaven, you have 4 and 20 elders. And here's what we pointed out last week, and I, I, I'm reading up on, my mind is, okay, there's 12 apostles and 12 heads of the tribes of, uh, of Israel. Well, 12 and 12 equals 24, but how many of us realize that doesn't say that's who actually these 24 elders are? It doesn't articulate that. We do know the 12 apostles will, will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus did say that. But the fact of the matter is, these 4 and 20 elders very likely could be the 12 apostles and 12 uh, heads of the tribes of Israel, but that's not what it says. What we do know is they are elders, meaning these are not sinless people. These are people who are faithful and finish their course as Christians. I remember one time saying to a man, we were talking about the Christian life and our decisions were different about how we're going to carry out our Christian life. And I said, but... What about this? This is, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he said to do. He said, but I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Meaning he knew what he was doing wasn't what the Lord had him to do, but he said, I'm not Jesus. In his mind, you could tell Jesus is sinlessly perfect, and I can't even get there, so I'm not even going to try. And that's why the Lord gave us sinners saved by grace like you and me who are faithful that we can watch and follow their pattern and whether you have one living and breathing in your life or you only have the example of people in the scripture, elders are those who've gone before you, trusted God for his direction for their lives and are showing us by example how to live the Christian life. As we focus on what the Bible and what the Holy Spirit of God chose to say about these elders, what you're going to see is a portrait of, spirit, of of a spiritual a spiritually matured person. And I want to point out, I think these twenty elders represent in what God says about them, the phases, if you would, or the four different aspects of the Christian life that we want to focus in on tonight. This is a very practical message. We're going to look at these four and 20 elders as an example for us. If I ask you tonight, and you know this, this Thursday night bunch, where spiritually are we positioned according to the book of Ephesians tonight? What is our spiritual position? We are in Christ. But more specifically, the Bible says we are seated in the heavenly places. As we look at the elders, you know where you find them seated? In the heavenly places. The difference is when you come to Revelation, they're there, meaning they've finished here and they're already there. They've finished their course. They're in the very presence of God where one day we will be. We are spiritually there already. One day we'll be there with a glorified body. Uh, One day we'll be there in the very presence of the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord I want to give us four things about these elders tonight that I believe are applicable to us and should help us understand how the Christian life works. And this is why I believe this is very, very important. There, is, there are trends. How many of us understand there are trends? The Bible calls them wins in, in, in regard to doctrine when it comes to Christianity. There are things that become trendy. It's trendy right now when dealing with an issue of sanctification to apply the requirement of salvation to sanctification and say, nope, that is not what sanctification is because we're saved by grace. Well, of course we're saved by grace. And we're sanctified by grace. So you you may say, well, as a Christian, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says? What that means practically is put pure words in your mouth and put the filthy ones out, right? That's what it means practically. Put off the things about you that I identify you with, a God-hating, lust-filled, prideful world. How many know there are things in this life that make us, they're badges that say, I identify with that bunch? There's not a person here that doesn't know tonight. If I came in and had a tattoo on my neck, you'd say, something is bad, wrong, right? Now, if I'm a trendy Christian, I'm going to say, you are judging me. You cannot judge my Christian life because we're not saved by what we do. You see what I just did? I took the requirement for salvation and applied it to sanctification. And what we find here is we find all these aspects covered as we focus in on these elders. Okay, so let's begin tonight. That is our vehicle. So if you've got that fob, it is, it's a temperamental system. So anyway, it's like its owner. Uh, every now and then it just starts beeping. But anyway... Ah, thank you. <laughs> all right. So let's consider four things about these elders. I'm going to give you four, four words to start with the B, so we can help remember them. Okay. First of all, their vitality. We find them, and the Bible says in verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. If you're in heaven, you have eternal life. We find these 4 and twenty elders, at some point in time, they had come to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's how you get where they are. Okay, They are seated in the heavenlies. Is that not where they are? Which is exactly where you and I are seated spiritually tonight. We are already in the sight of God. It's already done. We're already in, 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 seated in the heavenlies because God is not bound by time as we are. And so their position, if you would, their vitalities, I speak of that, I mean... They are alive spiritually. They're not in the place of the dead in hell. They are in the very presence of God. They have received the gift of eternal life. Their position is that they are in Christ. We can see that. They're round about the throne. May I say that Lot's position is not really any different than theirs. You know that Lot's in heaven tonight? That's what the Bible says. He's a righteous and a just man. And so it's wonderful that they are in heaven. It's wonderful that that's where they're positioned. And we see, if you're saved tonight, you and I have that common denominator with these elders. They are seated, again, as the, the book of Ephesians, and I, I'm, we're not going to turn there tonight. They are seated in the heavenlies, they are positioned in the very presence of Christ. Let's do look at Philippians chapter 1. These verses are, we quote part of Philippians 1. Um, and part of Second Corinthians 5, which I did a minute ago, I said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says this in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation, in Philippians 1, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not, verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he says, I know that when I depart, I'm going to be with Christ. Well, that's where we find the four and 20 elders. Perhaps he's one of them. I don't know. What I do know is that these elders, you can't be mature in the faith until you're in the faith, right? So these 4 and 20 elders, they are positioned in the heavenlies. That's their vitality. That is an eternal position. It is a secure position. Uh, they are, I would say this, their position is that they are there, they are present, but they are also resting. They are what? Seated. Meaning the work for their salvation is accomplished. They are seated there, confident. They're not going to be cast out. And that is... That's the position. The position of these elders is the position of every child of God. We have, our salvation has been fully accomplished. We can sit down. You realize when Jesus went to heaven, you know what he did? He sat down. You know why? Because his work was done. You know why the elders were sitting? Their salvation was finished, complete. So every child of God here tonight can relate to these four and twenty elders in the matter of. Vitality, Having eternal life, having a place and a position in heaven that is a secure position, an eternal position, one that we can rest in the finished work of Christ that relates to us. That is what began their life as Christians, is coming to faith in Christ and having secured that position. That position was given them the moment they had faith. Now they are literally actively in that position, okay? So their vitality. But number two, we see their virtue. And the next couple of points is really what I want to emphasize tonight, especially because of who... I'm speaking to. I think we all understand when you got saved, you were sealed under the day of redemption. You were given a position in Jesus Christ. Your righteousness was, your sinfulness exchanged for his righteousness. You're now a saint, not a sinner. Amen? It is appropriate if you're saved to know that you're a saint. You were a sinner, but you are saved. Now you're a saint. So you know what we need to do if I'm a saint? You know what the Catholic Church says? Live really, 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 really good, and we might call you a saint. God says you're in Christ, you're a saint, now live like one. God's order is exactly reverse of false religion and man's way. So that's their vitality, which deals with their position. But their virtue, we see, when the Bible says, again, in verse 4, round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, so that's their vitality, their position, clothed in white raiment. They're clothed in white raiment. Now, we went through this last week, but the fact of the matter is this white raiment is symbolic of righteousness. And it is called the righteousness of the saints in Revelation uh, here in verse 3. I believe it's later. It is called that uh, yet again in um uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, I think that's where the other reference is at, uh, to, the, to the, uh, the white raiment being the righteousness of the saints. It's later on in the book, uh, maybe Revelation chapter 17, 18. I didn't pin that down tonight, but it's referred to repeatedly as the righteousness of the saints. And so as we consider that tonight, then now we're not dealing with their position, but we're dealing more with their practical living. How many of us understand something about clothes? They have to be put on Now, I'm not trying to be crude tonight or anything, but the the truth is you are born without them, so they have to be put on you, and you have to put them on. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. This kind of language is used repeatedly when it comes to carrying out and living the Christian life. So, let me ask you this. Their position around about the throne makes them righteous in whose sight? God's. Practice reveals the righteousness you have to men, your righteousness is an absolute when you get saved, but our practice reveals our position. There's not a man in the world that's gonna know you're righteous unless you do what's right. And there, there's an attitude today that, that once you've gotten saved, that's kind of the end of the thing. There's a, a trend in teaching and a trend in doctrine that be saved, but don't put on the robe. And what they'll say is, if you don't put on the robe, you're still just as saint. That's true. That's true. But you know what? Throughout Scripture, this concept of nakedness is attached to shame, including in Revelation chapter 3. And there's a lot of Christians bringing shame on themselves and shame on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by not practicing in accordance with their position. The 4 and 20 elders could have been seated around the throne, but... Because they're elders, they're not just there, they're clothed in white robes. The Lord Jesus said that those who overcome, those who overcome will be given white robes. Is that not what he said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10? I believe it was to the church at Sardis, and to him that overcometh will I give white robes. And we'll read that in just a moment. But if you're looking in Ephesians chapter 4, so Ephesians chapter 4, repeatedly we're told to put off and put on. This is not told so that you and I can obtain righteousness or obtain justification or obtain forgiveness of sins. This instruction is being written to people that Paul has already established in chapters 1 and 2 are seated in the heavenlies. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 deals with the spiritual position of the believer in Jesus Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with how we should behave because of our position. How many of you think that the way you and I treat our mate has anything to do with justifying ourselves with God? No, it doesn't. How many of you think we can impress God, we husbands, by how much we love our wives? We can please Him, can't impress Him. How many of you think we can make Him more righteous? Well, of course not. He's as righteous as He can be. Then why in the world did Paul write about that in Ephesians chapter five? I mean, why? Why write about children obeying their parents, husbands loving their wives, wives submitting their husbands, workers being faithful and laboring faithfully and not lying to each other? I mean, if that has nothing to do with justifying us, isn't he really telling other people how to live their lives when they're already justified? You know why? Because he's not dealing with your position. He's dealing with your raiment. He's not dealing with whether or not you're going to be in heaven. He's dealing with how whether or not you're going to live heavenly while you're on earth. Thy will be done in earth as it is in, in heaven. The elders are clothed in white raiment. Then how should they be clothed on earth? In white raiment, meaning we are to put righteous. You know who sees your clothes? Man does. God sees what you and I are regardless. But you know what? The way, look, when I walked in that door here tonight, I was not wearing this. I was in a pair of Wranglers uh, work pants and they had big wet blotches on the knee because I crawled up under that truck to look at it and uh, I had a, a, a plaid shirt on. It's not a sin to preach in that, but I don't I don't want to set that pattern, so I went and changed clothes real quick. I want to show respect for the Word of God. You with me tonight? It's symbolic, and so tonight, whether we're, when we're talking about outward conduct, Yes, we're talking about what man can see because we're concerned with what man thinks about our God. Now that I'm saved and I'm seated in the heavenlies, I don't need to live like I'm still seated in hell. Amen? And that's what we see in these 4 and 20 elders. Their position, they're in the right place, but God doesn't just know they were there, He notes how they were adorned when they were there. You know what we know about these elders? They overcame temptation. When they were tempted to conform to a world that loves themselves and a world that hates God and a world that loves sin, they said, no, we're going to conform to the one who loves the Father. And when they were tempted to yield to the fear of man and and identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the ridicule of man for doing so in their outward life, meaning they weren't going to shut up and quit telling the gospel, they weren't going to quit preaching the gospel or living a life that is consistent with the gospel. And when they do that, may I say this, the great struggle in the heart of the Christian is when I start outwardly adorning my life, and I'm not just talking about what you put on by clothes. I'm talking about speech. I'm talking about appearance. I'm talking about uh, the the things, the the emblems we're going to put on ourselves or just the, 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 Peter calls it our conversation, our manner of life. When I start building my manner of life to please the Lord Jesus Christ, The world notices that. They don't wear white raiment. I mean, I notice that. The world does not adorn their life with purity and holiness and righteousness. No, no. So when we do, it identifies us. People say, why do you do that? And why won't you do that? Well, because the Lord says this, and I want to please Him. And when that happens, then there is a... Price tag, But I want us to understand, the Lord said, now that you belong to me, now that you're my child, there are some old garments that I saved you from. There's manner of life that's identified with your old man. You need to put that off. There are things you started doing because you're lustful. There are things you did because of your pride. You conform to your lust. Now I want you to conform to my holiness. That's what 1 Peter 1 says. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. There's a whole host of things the Bible talks about. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 4 toward the end of the chapter. Um, he says in verse, let's, let's back up to verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Meaning their empty ways of thinking having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. Meaning Christ is not greedy or unclean or lascivious. You know that about Christ. Verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him, And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off the former conversation, uh, put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, so here's the principle, and let me give you some illustrations he's going to say, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. You know what truth-telling is? It's white raiment. You know what lying is? Filthy rags. That's what God had saved me from. I had a life of deceit and lying. God says, No, now that you're mine, now that your position is seated in the heavenlies, I want you to get your raiment to match. Put off the lying, speak every man truth with his with, with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Don't let the anger rule your life. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's keeping relationships right with each other instead of growing bitter and full of wrath and strife. Verse 27, Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. "'Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you and with, uh, from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you.'" Paul gets a pretty specific list of things Christians are supposed to do and not do. Can we agree on that? Okay. That's the picture you have the 4 and20 elders. Yes, they're there. They're seated in the heavenlies, they're seated around the throne, but an elder is not someone who stops simply by being on their way to heaven. An elder is a mature Christian who's learned, because I am positioned in heaven, I'm going to have a practice that matches my position. And when I'm tempted to lie, I'm going to look to God and trust the power of the Holy Spirit and refuse to lie and tell the truth. And when I am tempted to have lust in my heart for that, that possession or that person, I know that that's what my flesh wants to do. And when I was lost, that's what I did. But not now, I'm going to put that off and replace that with contentment and temperance in my life. And when I was tempted to get everybody to look at me and think about me and focus on me or maybe lust after me, that's what I did before I got saved. But now Christ bought me and I know I'm not going to hell. I know I'm going to heaven, so I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to identify with God hating, God cursing people. I'm going to identify with God loving, God submitted to people. You with me tonight? An elder goes on from simply saying, well, I got my position. I want to tell you something. That's what Lot did, Old Testament believer. He got a position through faith, but you'll not find a practice in Lot's life that would reveal to you that he had faith. I think we all agree on that. If Peter didn't tell us he's in heaven, we wouldn't believe it. <laughs> but God does, and so you can have the position without the robe, but elders, elders, those who are a pattern for us, whose pattern we're supposed to follow. Now, I'm going to preach for a minute. Some of you here tonight know where you're going when you die. You know that. You know that Christ has saved you. You know that Christ has justified you. And you've been wrestling with, but am I going to reveal that to everybody around me plain and clear? When you put on a white garment in a world of dark and filth, boy, it shows up. When you start putting off the things that you lust for and put on the things that please God instead, all of a sudden, people can identify, I know where you got that garment from. I know who gave you that, and I don't like him. So you say, why do you bring that up? Because the struggle in our soul is, if I openly, outwardly identify with Christ, the world will respond to me as it responds to him. But an elder does the elders at some point in time matured in faith enough to say i'm glad that jesus christ has secured my position a place in the heavenlies i'm glad he gave me life i'm glad i have vitality but the bible says add to your faith virtue you know what virtue is virtue is this i will do what pleases the lord no matter what that's virtue plain and simple You can call it full surrender. You can call it laying down your life as a living sacrifice. But plain and simple, virtue is, I have decided to do only those things that are pleasing to the Lord. You know what elders have done? They've added to their vitality virtue. They've put on top of the forgiveness of their sins, listen here, a, a, a willingness to show appreciation that their sins are forgiven. The virtuous Christian lives a life unto the Lord. It doesn't live the life to be praised of men. We live not to offend men from the Lord. But we don't live for the praise of men. We live for the praise of Christ. So we find the elders, we see their vitality in their position. They're seated. They have life because they're in heaven. They have eternal life. Their, their position in heaven tells us that. But they have white raiments, and we could we could preach a series of messages. But church, we got to get a hold of this. And I want to I wanna caution you. There are so many, and I and I guess my burden tonight. I've watched this mentality creep into good independent Baptist churches and independent Baptist Christians' lives. I don't know of a teaching that's doing more damage to independent fundamental Baptist churches tonight than this one I'm preaching against tonight, this idea that, well, because you're righteous by faith in Christ, you don't, you know, nothing you do outside is righteousness. Someone made a statement, nothing you do is holiness. That's a bunch of nonsense. Because you're Christian, everything you do is holy. Or not. <laughs> Everything. Think about this 1 Peter 1 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not, listen to this word, fashioning yourselves. Every one of us is molding our lives to fit some pattern. Every individual in this room, you're molding your life to fit some pattern. You're gonna ask yourself, who am I molding my life after? Who is it that I'm looking at saying, that's the kind of person I want to be? You said, well, young people do that. No, everybody does. I've seen people throw their families away because they were molding their life after some kind of a, a frontier dream. <laughs> so they pursued land and they pursued a lifestyle because that was the mold. You know what? That's a, that's a, it's a world's mold of possession of goods, and that's going to identify who I am. Listen, tonight our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be molded or conformed to his image. You know what his image is? I do always those things that please him. That's our mold. So not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. Hold on, hold on. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That verse says what you and I do is to be holy. You know what holy is? It is done to and for the Lord. So my speech is to be holy. What I watch is to be holy. What I listen to is to be holy. Where I go is to be holy. The attitude of my heart is to be holy because I am in Christ. I am in a holy position that is to be reflected in a holy practice. Conversation simply means manner of life. It's interesting how we segment God out of certain manners of our life, parts of our life. But you know what? You know what elders have done? When you saw those elders in heaven, their robes identified them. You know what they're saying? See, say, well, we get our righteousness from Christ. That's exactly right. That's true. So people said nothing you do can make you righteous. That's true, but something you do can hide the righteousness that's in you. As a Christian, there's nothing you can do to make you righteous. You're righteous before God. That's settled. But there are things you can do that make people think you're unrighteous, and so is your God. Let your light so shine before God, because that's all that counts. No, before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So do our good works actually glorify God contrary to what these naysayers are teaching and saying there's no good work because our righteousness is right as filthy rags. Your good works can do nothing but possibly win someone to Christ. Well, that's a pretty noble cause. <laughs> I'm thinking winning someone to saving faith in Christ is a noble enough cause for me to say no to myself. The robe of righteousness deals with their virtue. So add your faith, virtue. The elders, elders, those who've matured in the faith, those whose faith we're to follow, those whose pattern has been set for us, have not only obtained by faith a position in Christ, they have conformed by faith to the practice of Christ. They have adorned the life of Christ on their outer man as well as their inner man. There are those that say, when it comes to modesty, God is looking for modesty of the heart. How many of have heard somebody say something like that? Is that true? But if you stop there, it's not true. He's looking for modesty of the heart reflected in modesty of life. Yeah, amen? And so that's, that, by the way, that's 1 Peter 3. That's 1 Timothy 2. And so it's all the above. He's not, he wants us cleansed within and without. That's what with the robes of righteousness. We have received that from God as a gift. Our righteousness is a gift from God. But it is revealed through conforming to his righteousness in every facet of our life. We are to put off the old and put on the new. Elders in the faith have done that. Amen. That's why Paul, you look at the and we'll move on in just a second. I said the heart of the message was right there, and it was. The Apostle Paul in outlining the qualifications of a bishop and deacon, do you realize some of the things he said you have to be qualified to serve in those positions is um, not soon angry? Now you think every time you're soon angry, you lose your salvation then why in the world did he bring that up? What a judgmental thing. There may have been somebody in the church at Ephesus that had a bad temper, and they might have thought that Paul was suggesting they were lost. What a legalist Paul was. He wasn't talking about how to get saved already. He was talking about having a testimony so we can serve God. When we confuse the condition for salvation with the conditions for service, we're all out of kilter. The elders in heaven, they're there through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We make our robes white through the blood of the Lamb. You know what knowing the blood of the Lamb has done for you will cause to happen to your lifestyle? It'll clean it up. I know I'm saved, therefore I can't behave this way anymore. I've got to have a right heart's attitude and a right speech and a right appearance for the Lord's sake. Virtue. We add, they have vitality. They're seated in the heavenlies, but they had virtue. They were robed in robes of, of white, Revelation 4 verse 4. Thirdly, we see their victory. They were not only men who had vitality. They had eternal life. They're seated in the heavenlies. They're robed in white garments. They, uh, they have virtue. But you want the guy on their head? Crowns. The robes and the crowns speak of a life of victory, meaning they had been tempted and tested had been tempted to turn their back on Christ, to pretend they didn't know him, to disregard his word, to disregard his will, and instead they had been faithful. And we find crowns are given for faithfulness. This is not a message tonight on the crowns that can be won, but here are men that are, they are crowned. And so uh, Revelation 4:4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of Gold. Now, if we look back just a little bit, Revelation chapter 2 again. I referenced it earlier, Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Uh, the John through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through John, verse 10 says, Fear none of those things uh, which thou shalt suffer. So the, the the folks in Sardis, for being Christians, were going to suffer. He's fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. I believe we're speaking of the church of Sardis here. Uh, fear not of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. What's the precondition for the crown? Be thou faithful. Don't lose me here. We have sometimes, sometimes. And I'm not talking about being just faithful to church. Sometimes we think faithful is synonymous with being a church. That's called being faithful to the assembly. But being faithful here is all-encompassing. It's being faithful to our Lord, being faithful to His will. How many of you have ever had something like this? You set out in your heart, I am not only going to rejoice in the fact that I'm saved, I'm going to seek to live a life because Christ has saved me that I know is pleasing to Him. Oh, well, then I can't keep behaving like that now, I can not Because I know that doesn't please Him. And so you set forward to stop doing whatever it is that doesn't please Him. And then you step forward, you know what? I've had a, I've had a, a sinful, wicked attitude. Um, maybe it's a husband toward a wife or a wife toward a husband or children toward parents or whatever it may be. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to forgive that person. Let's, 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 so for time's sake, let's just use forgiveness, okay? We all know that the Lord Jesus Christ would have us not be bitter but forgive those who've wronged us and sinned against us. I purpose, I'm going to forgive that person. You go to them and say, I just want you to know we've had some difficulties. I want you to know I forgive you. They say, I don't want you to forgive me. Forgive me for what? I've never wronged you. Well, never mind. Now I understand why I was mad at you in the first place. (laughs) By the way, that's not the way that's supposed to work. I don't think you should go up to people who've wronged you. You say, I forgive you. (laughs) That may be a good way to start a fight. Well, let's say you don't even do that. In your heart, you say, I forgive them. They're rude to me every time I see them. They treat me badly. I forgive them. And the next Sunday, they treat you worse than they've ever treated you in your life. All of a sudden, it's like, well, too so much for that. Sometimes we're not even faithful unto discomfort, let alone death. Can we be honest tonight? We're not going to get a crown if every time it is uncomfortable to obey Christ, we stop. If every time we have three bad days in a row and we say, well, I was trying to live for the Lord, but the Christian life just too hard. Last time I checked, my head hadn't been on a chop- chopping block. Amen? Do you know what he said? It, be thou faithful unto death, meaning you be faithful to the end of your life. And if you are, you know what faithful is? It is him being able to trust us to do what he tells us to do. That's what faith, you know what, faithfulness is being trustworthy. We all know we can trust the Lord tonight, do we not? The question would be, can he trust us? Can he trust us when he gives us something very clear in his word to just be or do what he wants us to be or do? Or can he trust us to find reasons to keep putting on the old man, which is according to our lusts? See, at some point in time, if you're not going to obey Christ, Obedience to Christ requires no to self. We have to say, I'm going to stop doing this so I can start doing that. I'm going to stop defending my pride and start preaching the gospel. I'm going to stop being concerned with whether or not my godless coworkers think I'm cool, and I'm going to start being concerned if God thinks I'm faithful. You with me tonight? These men had victory. They not only faced the temptation to quit serving the lord or to start serving sin they faced it and overcame it we know that because they had what on their heads crowns second timothy chapter four we know it so well why did paul get a crown because he got because he started a race because he finished it and because he finished it we don't get crowns for starting we don't get crowns for staying we get crowns for finishing we must all be reminded of that because we're all gonna be tempted to quit by quit, I don't mean quit just teaching your class or singing a song or attending church. I mean quit being concerned about what he wants. See, well, Here we find that these men were faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the cor- my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Temptation is a test. It may be a test that allures you to sin, or it may be a test to get you to quit doing right. But either way, it's a test that comes from our adversary. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown kind of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We find these were men who not only had vitality. They were present in heaven. But elders are not just there. They're clothed in robes of righteousness. By the way, that's another promise, Revelation 2.10. They were not only promised a crown, but they were promised garments of white if they overcame. And, uh, And thus we know that both the garment and the crown are a picture of them having overcome. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Meaning, my faith is firmly fixed in the one who died for me and I'm not willing to back out on that. And if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what? It will establish a testimony for his name. And that is where we get our strength to overcome temptation. I'm not going to change my mind about who he is and what he did for me. Uh, and the Bible says, Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the, the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So we find victory. These are men who had fought, had been faithful, and had finished their course. Um, notice Revelation 3:18 very quickly before we move to our last point. Uh, Paul, uh, the Lord Jesus says to the Laodicean church, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Isn't that what the crowns were made of? These men had. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Think about gold. What does gold have to go through to be fashioned and formed and be pure and be valuable? Fire. Now listen, Christian, tonight, by faith, we receive salvation. By faith, we receive our commissions to serve. By faith, we receive God's direction that sanctifies us, meaning it sets our life apart to be lived unto him. But by faith, we also receive that part of our course is suffering. It's something that we, it is so, it is as plainly in the Bible that the Christian must, we must go through trials and it says, finally, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Notice the crowns were made of gold. The Lord Jesus said, buy of me gold tried in the fire. You know when many people back off on their Christian life? When it gets hard to live it. When, look, it is easy for me to say, it is, I'll be honest with you, it's easier for me to stand here and preach with boldness. Preach the gospel. Well, we should, and I'm going to preach it. I'm not making fun of preaching about preaching. But it's easy for me to preach to you about preaching the gospel. When that gets put to the test is when I knock on some guy's door, and he already looks like he wants to spit on me before he ever opens it. And then he opens it, and I think, you know what? He's going to be like the big burly motorcycle guy. who would be nice. He's like, get off my doorstep. Boom. This doesn't work. And that's a, kind of a silly illustration because there are other things that try our faith more seriously than that, a lot more seriously. You know, I'm going to honor my parents until my parents aren't honorable. You with me? I'm going to love my wife until she's not lovable. I'm going to reverence my husband until he's done something stupid. I'm going to love my children until they break my heart, bring them up in the Lord's nurture and admonition until... They don't do what I think, you know, until they disappoint me in some way or hurt me. See, our commandments are clear, but what happens is it's one thing to sit in the pew or kneel at the altar and make a decision, I'm going to serve the Lord, but then it gets put to the test. Can we attest to that? Kings can (laughs) can testify, can't you? And it's true. But you know what? This is where the trying of our faith is purified and it's turned into gold that's going to be put on our head someday. How many want something to lay back down at his throne? then we better be faithful in the trials. When, when we have the opportunity to disobey, we at the same time have the opportunity to obey. And You know what? God tempted Abraham, but he didn't tempt him to sin. He tempted him to obey. How many of us tonight, God is tempting you to obey? Here's an opportunity to see if you'll trust me. You going to do it? Can I encourage you? You know, you know the best way to build your faith in God? Act on it. Take God at his word, act on it, and watch him prove himself faithful. But those were put to the test in times of suffering, in hard times, in difficult times. You know why the Laodicean church didn't have any gold? Because they had their comfort instead. They were lukewarm. You and I, you can't be going through fiery trials and stay lukewarm. It can't happen. How, How many of you know this? Life was easy until you were called upon to do something actively for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, all kinds of backlash and pushback And difficulty entered your life the moment you started getting serious about obeying God. Anybody notice that little pattern? It's called the trying of our faith. It is through those and staying faithful to the Lord, saying, when it is difficult to obey the Lord, I'm going to rely on His grace to enable me and do it anyway. So these were men who had vitality. They're present in heaven. But elders aren't just there. They're clothed in white raiment because they've been faithful. And they have crowns of gold on their head because they've been faithful. They have continued to obey when identifying and obeying with Christ was difficult and a test and a trial. And then finally, we find their veneration in verses uh, 10 and 11. The elder, we might think spiritually mature Christians, you know, they've got, they're, they're, they, they've been saved. They have a life that's pleasing to the Lord. They have, they have learned to. Identify with the Lord's righteousness by adorning it outwardly. They have overcome temptation. You would think these would be some proud and pompous people. Look at my crowns of gold and my white raiment. Well, they understand where they got it from. Verse 10, the four and twenty elders fall down. When they hear the four beasts saying, holy, 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 the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what an an elder Christian has learned in their Christian life? The ability to have a crown on your head and a robe on you is given the same way that the ability to be seated in heavenlies is. By the life and grace of Jesus Christ. If you have attempted to live the Christian life, you should be able to say no human being can live it in their natural ability. You cannot rejoice in the Lord always, naturally. Young man, you can't keep your eyes clean, naturally. You can't keep your heart pure, naturally. Young lady, you can't keep yourself pure, naturally, can you? In this world, but you can by the power of God. You know what elders do? They give glory to him. Their robes of righteousness speak of him and his righteousness. Their crowns of gold speak of his ability to overcome. You know what? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Maybe tonight the idea idea of living a faithful Christian life in your mind maybe has said, you know what? I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm sure of that. Well, the elders are there as a template, as a pattern that we're supposed to follow. They weren't content just to be seated in heaven. No, they were seated with white raiment, crowns on their head. They had victory. They had virtue. And ultimately, the victory and the virtue caused them to venerate or to worship the Lamb. They adored Him. They acclaimed Him. They affirmed His authority and position, His worthiness to receive everything precious because truly, everything, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. May I say this? And I'll close. There's a temptation to try to have the virtue and the valor of a faithful Christian and the victory so that others will venerate me. I found my own life, as long as I'm pursuing virtue and victory for my honor, I cannot get it. I've, I've had specific issues I could share with you in my life. I, I want to do that's right. I know it's virtuous. and I'm trying to put it on. I just can't seem to get that robe to fit. Because in my heart, you know what my motive is? When I do, I want to be a superior Christian. Doesn't that sound noble? If we're going to be superior to anything, should we be superior Christians? Superior to who? All the others. No, that will never work. No, no. You know why we put on robes of righteousness and, and stay faithful and get a crown of gold? So we can say, worthy is the lamb. He is the one that enabled me to be there, and he's the one that put the robe on me, and he's the one that put the crown on my head by him. His life and His faithfulness through His shed blood and His death—that is what we live to do—to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the mindset of a mature Christian. You know what? I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Glad I'm already seated there. I'm glad that I can adorn the righteousness of Christ in my life, and I'm looking to win a crown so that one day I can lay it at His feet and give Him the glory He's worthy of. Amen. All right, you can stay seated. We'll close tonight.